Don't you just like expect The Rock to come out after, after that? Or like Bruce Willis, and then it's me? Like, just doesn't, just doesn't fit. Anyway, hey, good morning, friends. So glad you are here today. Grateful you took some time out of your weekend to join us, especially if it's your first time, maybe your first time in a long time. You're our honored guest. Thanks for, thanks for checking us out. We hope that you uh, will stick around. Uh, I want to thank and, uh, and praise and pray for all the dads in this room. Happy Father's Day to all of you. Hope that all of you feel and know this morning just how important you are uh, to your families as well as to this church. So don't let me forget at the end of our time together, I want to lay hands on our dads and, uh, and pray that God would strengthen and bless and use them in some powerful ways, right? Don't let me forget. It's on you now, so if I forget, it's your fault. Hey, I would be remiss if I didn't publicly thank uh, Pastor Nathan for filling in for me last week. Uh, at 10 p.m. East Coast time, uh, last Saturday night, we learned that our return flight from North Carolina was canceled. So about four seconds later, Pastor Nathan learned that that next morning he'd be preaching. Uh, he had already been working on a message, so it wasn't totally last second, but still, uh, I want to thank him. He's an amazing friend and an amazing pastor. But he and I, we've been laughing all week because he received so many compliments on the message, and we're not exactly sure what that means when you are praised so highly for a message you don't really prepare for. But that's how we're going to do this, church, and we're, we're just going to wing it every week, all right? We're just going to let the Spirit kind of do what the Spirit does, man. But thank you, brother. Appreciate you doing that, buddy. That was huge. Hey, join me in one more prayer, and then we'll dive into God's Word. Father, thank you for some time to sit, to be still, to rest, to breathe, oh, and to be reminded of what is real and what is right. Speak to us now in a way that only you can. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Hey, not many of us, and in fact, I would argue not a single one of us, enjoys being told no. Uh, from a toddler who throws a major temper tantrum in the middle of the grocery store uh, line, right, when you're told or they are told they cannot have any more candy, uh, to a teenager who storms out of the living room and slams their bedroom door when they're told they can't extend their curfew or drive dad's car, to, I was even thinking, maybe a retired person who can't believe this new restaurant doesn't have an early bird special. <laughs> we hate being told no. But... When was the last time you told yourself no? When was the last time that you voluntarily stopped and limited yourself in some way? Maybe it was at the wedding or the, or the party and you were offered a third piece of cake and you're like, oh, no, no, I, I could have already had too much, but I don't want it to go to waste, so I might, I might as well. When was the last time? Maybe, maybe you stopped yourself or your spouse from binge-watching another season of your favorite Netflix show after it had already been 2 a.m. or 3 a.m. Honey, I've got to go to work tomorrow. We can't do this. Maybe it was when you refrained from buying that new dress or that new gizmo or that new car because you still haven't made all the payments yet for the last dress or, or gadget or car. Saying no to ourselves, it's just not something that comes super easy to us, is it? Or, or very natural. Uh, the biblical word that encapsulates and covers all of this is self-control. That might actually be two words. I'm not sure how the hyphen plays into that. We'll say one and a half words. But we don't talk a lot about self-control, do we? Which is a shame and a problem because the Bible talks about it all the time. Let me give you a couple of examples. Proverbs 5. 22 and 23. An evil man is held captive by his own sins. They are ropes that catch and hold him. He will die for lack of self 
control. He'll be lost because of his great foolishness. 1 Peter 1.13, prepare your minds for action, the great apostle says, and exercise, work it out, and work hard on self-control. Galatians 5, 22 and 23, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Self-control, as described in the Bible, is a supernatural, spirit-enabled power that you have to limit, restrict, and stop yourself from doing things you know you shouldn't be doing. But it's our inability to tap into that power. It's our inability or maybe our, our unwillingness to exercise that control that allows the next giant in our life to get bigger and bigger and bigger. If you're new to bowls this summer, we are in a series called Overcome. We're talking about the story of David and Goliath. Now, it's not just a children's tale that they told way back in the day. It's actually a story that describes our present-day reality because many of us are standing face-to-face, toe-to-toe with a giant of some kind, a habit, an obstacle, a problem, a vice that we just can't get past, and this giant just keeps beating us down day after day after day. And it's our inability to exercise self-control that allows the next giant to do what he does best. I'm talking about the giant of addiction. Addiction is a power-packed, emotional word that means so many things to so many different people. For many of us, the word brings up painful memories of family members or even close friends uh, who struggle with drugs or alcohol, those who lost control, lost their way, who ruined their life and possibly as a result even ruined your life. Uh, I stumbled across 10 drug and alcohol-related statistics as it pertains specifically to Colorado. And guys, the numbers, the numbers just ain't good. Let me share with you a couple. Rehab and treatment admissions in the state tripled between the years of 2012 and 2014. Colorado has the highest rate of deaths by overdose of any state in the entire U.S., Only 15% of people in Colorado who struggle with addiction will actually seek rehab or help. That means 85% of folks who are addicted to something won't get the help that they need. 7% of women in Colorado who go in for rehab are pregnant, which is sad because it's seven times higher than the national average of 1% of women. Denver's rate of alcohol consumption is higher than anywhere else in the country. Marijuana, cocaine, prescription opioids are all higher in Denver than any other area in the U.S. I mean, this is sad. It's a sad state of affairs as to what's happening in our state, is it not? But here's the thing. Normally you read stats or you come across, you know, some sort of numbers or percentage. And you just kind of just gotta gloss over them. You're not really touched in some way. Even the stuff I just shared, you just kind of... But here's the thing. Percentages and percentage points represent people. And these people represented in these percentage points in particular are being destroyed by addictions. Thousands and thousands and thousands of them. Uh, A few weeks ago, as I was preparing for this message, I I wanted other voices to speak into this particular lesson. And so I asked four or five people from our church who I know have struggled with addictions in the past to just share a little bit of their story with us. It's a powerful 10 minutes. Uh, Watch this. I was first exposed to pornography when I was eight years old. Uh, Some neighborhood boys uh, showed me some magazines who were a couple years older than me and 
so they showed me some magazines and from that point I was, uh, it opened a door and I got, I, I got sucked into that. So I was about 19 years old when my first addiction started. Um, you think it was having a child at the age of 17, kind of felt like I was maybe missing out on stuff. Um, and so that kind of led me into more of the alcohol and partying club type scenes. We were all, gosh, young teenagers, or not even preteen maybe, but uh, one of them uh, swiped a bottle of bourbon from his dad. And um, so we all got drunk. Um, and that was the first time. And I just remember feeling that feeling, everything just went away. Uh, for a couple hours, there was no fear, no anxiety. Um, I felt my first hangover uh, and threw up that night. Uh, and, but I just know I wanted more, I wanted more. As I got older and in high school, um, I started to, to drink. And it was a great escape for me. Um, it was a way that I didn't have to face my fears. Uh, makes you invincible in some regards, um, or at least so I thought. It began to grow, obviously. I fed it over the years as I went through my adolescence and, and became an adult, and I just kept it uh, quiet, and um, I just kind of figured that whatever happens in my mind stays in my mind, you know, no harm, no foul, no one needs to know, and uh, this little pet sin that I had just kept, it kept getting bigger and bigger, and it got to the point in my life where it was really so big that it, it, it dominated everything. With the loss of my mother, I found myself needing a way to escape and kind of get away from my thoughts and my feelings. My mom was my best friend. And the pain of that at such a young age was something that was really hard to deal with. And so drugs kind of took that away, that pain. Uh, that opened the door to marijuana, that opened the door to cocaine, that opened the door to um, quaaludes, you name it. Uh, we, we would get it, we, it was all around. And so again, it, it just snowballed, that, that desire to escape, to escape, to escape. So I, I just drank a lot. And I think over time, either uh, genetically within me uh, and just drinking more and more and more uh, to be satisfied, I became an alcoholic. It was, this is really hard to share. Um, <clears throat> but it was crystal meth that was offered to me. Um, I mean, at first it was just every weekend and then it just gradually, as the pain became worse and worse, I kind of stopped going to school, stopped going to work. You know, it's, it's a lot like a snowball. It, it starts out at the top of the mountain and it's a small thing and it rolls and it gets bigger and it gets faster. But not only that, but it, it picks up dirt and rocks and it picks up all kinds of stuff. And no matter what happens at the end, it will always find its way down to the bottom of the mountain and it'll just absolutely crush and destroy whatever it hits. And that's what happened to me. Um, I thought I had everything under control, um, but one day it just completely, the snowball hit my, my whole family and it just, it completely 
devastated everything. And I said, that's it, I can't do this anymore. I, I've, I've hit bottom, everything's failing. I've been living out of my car, I've been living in fields, nobody knew where I was, I disappeared for probably a month. Um, I've been blacking out every night um, and stealing to get drunk and it was either that or, or die. There was no other option for me. Um, I was tired of feeling the shame and the guilt and all of it. I was just tired. I was just tired. And then it's almost like God reached out his hand and said, okay, let's do this. You know, in just that moment, I, I fell on my face and I, um, you know, I confessed and I repented everything to God and begged him, um, prayed very, in, in a very immature way, in a very desperate way, I prayed that he and, and asked and begged that he would help me, but not help me, but help my kids and help my wife and repair their lives and fix them. And I just asked God, I remember very clearly asking him to, God, would you just erase me and draw somebody else and make me somebody else, somebody else that doesn't hurt people. They literally locked me in. Uh, I had to watch my wife and her father uh, leave to go away for a while uh, to see what, what I would do this time. And uh, I stuck with it and I was locked up. It was still pretty messy for a few years. I was able to, to kind of get clean just by separating myself from people and environments um, and, and completely just transforming how I live my life. Um, but during, but during that time, God brought a lot of amazing people to me. Um, a lot of amazing people. Basically what I did is, you know, I, I tried to clean up my act and then come to God holy versus God saying, Paul, I had to die on a cross in the first place, um, to help you be holy. Let me in, let me be in that part of you that struggles and let me be your strength. In human words, it was almost like he said, I'm God, you're not. My ways are higher than your ways. I don't think the way you do. Your best thinking got you here, Eric. Your best thinking isn't gonna get you out of here. I will call the plays if you want, and just, but I'll be with you and, and walk with me. And, and I just, I took that. I'll warn you though, uh, the Lord doesn't just bail us out. I had consequences to pay. Uh, the choices I had made had consequences. And the Lord let me live through those, uh, but it was a healing process at the same time that was so incredible. For many years, I was scared, you know, if someone were to offer it to me or um, if something horrible were to happen, what would I do? Um, how would I address that situation? Um, now there's no desire, which I never thought I'd get over. Uh, I remember sitting there and all of a sudden the, um, the haze, the high of the addiction just went away and I was given a vision of two different lives and it happened in a matter of seconds. One life was jail, um, it was just awful, it was uh, crime, you name it. Uh, the other life was a, a home with two kids and a dog. I couldn't see their faces and a, and a, a wife and it was this blurry image. And then the vision went away, my high was gone, and I knew what God was saying. He's saying, Paul, make a choice. 
Um, and so I got up, I flushed everything down the toilet. I haven't had a drink, I haven't had any marijuana since then. And ironically enough, I'll, I have a beautiful wife and two kids and two dogs. You know, I, I held on to some scriptures. One of the scriptures was Joel chapter two. It says, I will restore the years that the locusts have taken from you. And I really held on to that promise thinking one day I'm gonna get my house and my cars back and I'm gonna get my job back. I'm gonna get the status and the prestige that I had at one point. Everything is gonna be the same as it was, just put back together and, and God, yeah, he did bless me with um, better job opportunities and a house and cars, but he's given me so much more than that. Uh, different, you know, he's given me peace and he's given me wisdom and he's sewn together my marriage and um, he's helped me to learn and to be about him and to hear his voice and hear his, his words. Uh, believe me, the enemy's gonna come and he's gonna start popping all kinds of thoughts in your mind. Uh, you don't deserve uh, to be healed. You don't deserve a second chance. Uh, you're not good enough. Um, how are you going to face those you love and those that you don't even know uh, in such a shameful experience uh, that you've put yourself in? Realizing that the enemy's a liar um, because he will continue to tell you that you're gross, you're disgusting, no one no one's going to love you. Nobody cares about you. Um, and the enemy just adds. He adds to the shame and the guilt. Uh, I still have a hard time, you know, looking people in the eye. Um, that's just years of believing the lie that I had no value and didn't bring anything to the table. But. God is continuously bringing His truth into my life and healing me. The only way uh, to receive healing is literally fall on your knees and cry out to the Lord first and confess that you have a, you have a challenge in your life. We all do in one variety or another. Uh, there's nothing to be ashamed about in going before the Lord with your heart's desire to be healed. Um, but He will lead you and guide you on a path that will put the right organization, the right person, the right group in your life that can help you. First off is sharing that with someone that you trust. Um, I know there are a lot of people here at West Bowles, um, myself included, that would give no judgment. Um, but I also feel like some kind of group, whether it be a well support group, a, you know, AA, um, you know, the groups that they have here are more Christ-based. Um, uh, number one, I would say that it's not gonna get better by itself. Uh, it will only get worse. Being secretive and keeping it quiet and not telling anybody is exactly what the enemy wants you to do. Uh, monsters grow in the dark. Don't try to do it yourself. Don't, if I could save you time, save the years that I had to go through this uh, and to surrender um, and follow him uh, and get him with people that can be your strength, that are more mature or on the same path as you. Um, you know, the, the Life Recovery, the Renew group here um, was fabulous um, at giving me the tools at everyday stuff, not even addiction. You know, I mean, addiction definitely gave, it gave me the tools for that, but it gave me 
tools how to deal with those circumstances where I wasn't needing that crutch and prayer. Pray, 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 pray. <laughs> I just want to encourage you. Uh, there is hope. Never give up because where Jesus Christ is alive today in our hearts and the power of the Holy Spirit is here with us, His healing power is here for us, no matter what it is, including addictions. I, I don't know why we have different um, journeys like that. I just know that I'm sober. Um, I'm more joyful than I've ever, ever been. And um, I just don't want to go back. And I'd love to just help anybody else if they want to experience sobriety and the joy that uh, can come from following Jesus. Nothing feels better, take it from me, nothing feels better than to walk around in life and know that nobody's got anything on you. They don't have any dirt on you. They're, no one's gonna run and tell your spouse, guess what, because that, that doesn't exist. Uh, it's really great to live that kind of life. There's hope in Jesus. He will guide you, protect you, heal you, and put the right people in your path uh, to pull you out of the deepest, darkest addiction. Um, I, I sit here before you today as a living testimony to that. Hey, would you join me in thanking those four for sharing? So powerful, I'm just so proud. So proud of you four, so grateful. Those four are my friends and, and just sharing like that and opening up. Thank you. Thank you each for, for doing that. Hey, I want to take a few minutes uh, here as we come to an end of our service uh, to talk about a couple things that they brought up in the video, that some folks in the video touched on. Uh, it's easy to hear the word addiction and just assume that we're talking about the big three, right? Drugs, alcohol, and porn. That was the experience of the three or four folks in our video uh, but addictions extend far beyond those, do they not? Um, many of us have something that's going on that, that we wouldn't classify in that way, but yet it actually is that. You see, the formal definition of addiction is, is this. It's the fact or condition of being addicted, kind of stuck to, combined with a particular substance, thing, or activity that you just can't break free from. And so if we're honest we're all probably addicted to something, right? We're all probably stuck or connected to or combined with something that we just cannot break free from. And it could be the screen, especially your phone. Uh, 210 million people are estimated to suffer from internet and social media addictions. Single teenage females can spend up to nine hours a day on social media. It could be food. Uh, for some, it's cravings and obsessive thoughts. It's overeating. It's obesity. But in our nation in particular, uh, we struggle immensely with food addiction. I mean, just look at the long line of people every morning at Starbucks that need their fix. It could be money from riding the stock market roller coaster minute by minute to gambling online to maxing out your credit cards, retail therapy, right? Trying to make a quick buck trying to, to stockpile an extra buck. It's actually an addiction for far too many people. I want you to finish the following sentence, and I want you to be honest, but don't say it out loud. I cannot live without. What? I cannot live without. Put a different way, 
I'd start to freak out or break out in a cold sweat if you took such and such away from me. What is that for you? Because there is something. Don't fool yourself. Oh, this sermon doesn't apply to me. Let's go get lunch, honey. There is something. Is it your phone? Is it in your investment accounts? Is it your golf clubs? Is it sex? Is it the approval of others? Is it the bottle? Is it your bong? The fact of the matter is we all feel like there is something we absolutely have to have in this life so that we can make it through life or be at our best in this life or experience the fullness of this life. But 99.9% of the time, the thing that we are addicted to is going to ruin us. It's a quote that says we're all addicted to something and it's going to ruin us. Now, believe it or not, young David in the story of David and Goliath faced a similar temptation. And I think the situation that he found himself in speaks so profoundly and so powerfully to addiction. See, in 1 Samuel 17, David is put in a situation where he's offered something that others claim will make him better. He's offered something that others claim will make him stronger. He's offered something that others claim will make him more capable, that will make him a much better version, a superior version of himself. But it's his ability to say no to that thing. It's his ability to exhibit and exert self-control in that moment and say no to that offer that allowed him to do great things for the Lord, that allowed him to face and defeat his giant. And the same is true for you. So let's talk about it for a minute. If you're not familiar with the story, it's in 1 Samuel 17. We read this, that for 40 days straight, this massive man named Goliath had single-handedly demoralized and defeated God's people before the war with the people had actually ever begun. He did this by hurling insults at the people, by threatening the people, by calling into question their manhood and also the might of the God that they claimed to serve. Every day he would come out into the valley of Elah and he would say, you all are so weak not one of you is strong enough or capable enough or brave enough to come and fight me. I will kill you. You know it and I know it. And so you sit there like cowards for 40 days. And you claim to serve this mighty God. Well, where is he now? And the people just sat there on the hillside and didn't do anything. That is until a young teenage kid named David came along. And yes, it took some convincing on his part, but the king at the time, a man named Saul, eventually agreed to let David go fight Goliath one on one. But before he sent him out, we read this. 1 Samuel 17, verses 38 and 39. Then Saul gave David his own armor, a bronze helmet and a coat of mail. David put it on, strapped the sword over it, and took a step or two to see what it was like. For he had never worn such things before. I can't go in these, he protested to Saul. I'm not used to them. And so David took them off again. I believe what happened in that moment in Scripture is exactly what happens in every moment when you and I are faced with an addiction. Now, I know it's an overly simplified explanation to a very complicated issue, and I'm not, I'm not trying to demean counseling and therapy groups and all that, but when it comes to addictions, here's my personal opinion. Someone or something is coming to you claiming you are not enough. You do not have enough. You are not strong enough. You are not charismatic enough. 
They come to us in all kinds of different forms, and they say, we don't have what it takes, we're ill-prepared, we're going to miss out, and if we go out there just as we are, we're going to die. And so, you need extra. You need something above and beyond what you already possess. If you want to make it through life or truly experience the best of this life, you have to have. You've got to try. You've got to taste this. You with me? See how that works? The giant comes in and the first part of the lie is you are not enough. You don't have enough. You need a little extra. You see, your resolve, your ability to cope with the loss of your parent, your loved one, your ability to cope with or or get through that really tough situation, it's not enough. Your resolve, your willpower, your strength is not enough. You need a temporary escape from reality. You need a little extra pick-me-up because what you have is not enough. Your sex life, it isn't full or wild enough. You need an extra partner or you need some extra images to be ingrained into your mind via porn. Your self-esteem, your worth, they aren't good enough. You need extra affirmation. You need extra likes. You need extra comparisons to everybody else in this world if you want to measure up. Your personality, your charisma, it's not enough. You need extra gusto, extra guts, extra gall. So take a hit, take a drink, take those pills, because you're not enough. You need something extra. It's exactly what David was told in this story. Young David, you're a fool if you think you can handle this world on your own. You don't have enough. So King Call, King Call, King Call, King sounds like like a weird hybrid movie of like the Bible and King Kong, King Call. Anyway, sorry. So the king comes and says, you need something more. You've got to have this. And when you don't think you're enough, when you don't think that you intrinsically possess enough, you will always take the enemy up on his offer for extra. Always. And many of us have been in this position, have we? Now, I'm not speaking hypothetical here. I'm talking to you. Maybe even this morning you found yourself in this position. We've all been tempted by the promise and the offer that something extra is going to heal us or help us or fix us or relax us or satisfy us or strengthen us or bring the best out of us. You're not enough, so you need extra. That is a lie from the pit of hell. And it's a lie that the giant wants you to believe and that many of you have. The giant relies on and relishes in that lie. Now here's the thing. One of the craziest and scariest parts of the giant of addiction is that it typically shows up when we're already fully engaged in battle with another giant. You with me? The giant of addiction typically shows up, rears his ugly head, when we're already fully engaged in battle with another giant. We're already struggling against one thing, We're already fighting against one thing when suddenly, out of nowhere, addiction comes into our life. Addiction is a cheat and a coward in that way. It will never come to you when you're strong and able and courageous. The giant of addiction always comes when you're already fighting something so intensely and he comes and he knocks your legs out from underneath you. 
You're already fighting the giant of illness or pain or, or, or chronic something, right? You're already fighting that giant, and then the, suddenly the giant of painkiller addiction comes into your life. You're already fighting the giant of purposeness or, or complacency. You're already fighting that giant when the giant of, of gambling shows up or internet porn shows up. You're already fighting the giant of self, self-worth issues or, or shame when the giant of drugs shows up or, or social media addiction shows up. You're already engaged in one thing, and this giant just comes in and takes you out. Each of those situations, they're, they're so trying, but in every one of them, the giant comes and he says, you don't have enough. You need extra So try this, hit this, watch this, smoke this, wear this, sleep with this, inject this, or consume this. And just like David in 1 Samuel 17, we have to stand up with all the resolve we can muster and say, no, this doesn't fit me at all. I'm not used to this. I can't live like this. If you send me out to battle, if you send me out into the world wearing this, overwhelmed and kind of burdened by this, I'm going to die. That's what we have to say. I think it's crazy that King King Saul comes in and offers him all this extra stuff. Hey, you need need my stuff here. Like, like you need all this extra armor. It'll make you better. As I'm reading the story, I'm like, if it's going to make you better, King Saul, why aren't you wearing it and engaged in the battle? See, typically, this giant's going to come in the form of a very weak person, offering you something they think will make you stronger but they're not strong themselves. They're not wearing the stuff. They're not fully aware of how weak they are. That's why they're offering it. Really, King Saul? That's going to help? You coward? It's not going to help at all. Hear this, my friends. You don't need the bottle. You don't need the pills. You don't need the porn. You don't need the caffeine. You don't need the likes. You don't need the high. You don't need the sensation. I don't care what anyone else says. All of those things are going to render you powerless and they're going to kill you. You are enough. You don't need extra. Listen to how Paul says it in 1 Corinthians 6, 12. You say, I'm allowed to do anything. Well, not everything is good for you. And even though I'm allowed to do anything... I must not become a slave to anything. The church that Paul was talking to, it's called the church of Corinth, seemed to be addicted to two things. If you read that chapter, chapter 6, they're addicted to sex and to food. And they believe that their freedom in Christ just allowed them to consume and take in and experience as much of those two things as they possibly could. We're free in Christ, whatever. Let's just sleep around and eat as much as we can. This life is great. What's the problem, Paul? And Paul says, you don't think this matters? You don't think there's a problem there? You have literally become a slave to those things. Sex and food are literally dragging you around like a dog on a leash. You have given your freedom in Christ over for slavery to some substance, to some experience. You are not your own anymore. You've handed over the rights of your life which Christ purchased, you've handed those rights over to something else. You're a slave. You can't stop it, Paul would say. You can't say no to it. And that describes many of us as well. We've become a slave to something. 
and it's not good. So next week, we'll continue the conversation about addictions. And I want to show you that as a believer, you have the ability, just like David, to say, no, I am not going to do this, wear this, try this. No, no. Who I am in Christ, what I have been given in the Holy Spirit is enough. But for now, this week, I want you to spend some time thinking about What are you addicted to? What are you enslaved to? If I asked you to turn your phone off for several weeks, could you do it? If I asked you to give up the golf club membership, could you do it? Stop looking at your investment accounts. Go offline. Stop sleeping around. Stop smoking. Stop injecting. Stop taking. Could you do it? You got to come to terms this week that there's probably something in your life that's trying to enslave you. I love how author James Collins said it. We have to have control in a world that's totally out of control. And again, we need God's help to do it, but thanks be to God, he's given us the help. You've got to come back next week because we're going to talk about this power that is in you that is greater than the power that is in the world to say, no, King Call, no. All right, let me pray for us. Uh, Before I do that, I'm going to ask the dads to stand up Because as we pray, I want to specifically pray for the dads in this room. If you are close to a dad, proximity-wise or relationally, would you just put a hand on those guys? And we're going to pray here for a few minutes together. God, we thank you so much for the story of 1 Samuel 17. Because It's not just some children's tale. It's not just some fictional story we read to make ourselves feel better, God. It's a description of life. It helps us understand how to live in harmony with you and and how to overcome the different giants that come against us, God. And in particular, today we're talking about the giant of addiction. And we're so grateful for David in this story, having the strength and the gall and, and the energy and ability to say no to anything extra that people were trying to put on him, God. And I pray specifically over the men and the fathers in this room that they would have that same ability. That God, that they would be the models for their wives. That they would be the examples to their children. That in Christ, we are enough. That we don't need or ever will need anything extra it's garbage it's a waste it's armor that doesn't fit right so help these men today be like David help them to be so strong and courageous in you that they say no to whatever addiction might be coming after them right now, whatever addiction might be grabbing a hold of their heart or their household, God, and whatever addiction might come after their kids, we say no to them. We say, addictions, you are a coward. You are a cheat. And we say no to you. We do not need you. Would the fathers in this church model that? Would they live that reality and truth out? so they can bless their family, their neighborhoods, their workplaces, the city, and even beyond. Bless and strengthen our fathers today, God. 
We love you so much. Help us to exhibit self-control for you this week. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.